uh, Polycarp wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. And he reminded them of the letter that we have in the Bible that Paul wrote. And he said of it that it was a letter which, if you carefully study, you will find to be the means of building you up in the faith which has been given for you. So in the coming weeks, we've got something to look forward to. Being built up by those words written down by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, building us up in faith in Jesus, or building us up maybe for the first time in faith in Jesus. And if you've ever been near the letter uh, to the church in Philippi, you will know that it being a letter that builds up, it's not a surprise. It's possibly one of the most encouraging reads in the whole of the Scriptures, in the whole of the New Testament. Um, I certainly can jump forward. I think it would be uh, 1,865 years uh, to March 2020, three weeks before uh, a certain lockdown, uh, and we've taken uh, the youth uh, from this church away for a weekend away. And we were looking at Philippians. And I've still got, and it's on my desk, uh, an A4 piece of paper. Uh, I think it was Ali Goodman put together of, of nuggets of gold from Philippians, different verses that are worth memorizing and treasuring. But Paul, well, he was in his own lockdown. He was in a prison cell, probably in Rome, writing this. Uh, but he didn't just write the letter so that we had these verses to hold on to and to memorize. Neither is it a letter that is simply to update some of Paul's friends with what's going on. Neither is it a letter, a kind of prayer letter uh, to Paul's supporters. Nor is it a thank you letter. Um, to the church in Philippi, who'd been practically and financially supporting Paul. All those things are there, but this letter's more than that. Uh, what's at the heart of this letter? Well, why don't we take a look? Grab, grab a Bible. Uh, find Philippians. It's on page 1,178, but we're going to go over to page 1,179. Uh, to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. What's at the heart of this letter? Now, this is what Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It seems to me that the big theme of Philippians is standing firm in the gospel, striving together as one. And two big marks of that kind of standing firm and striving together uh, that we'll find again and again and again in these words written down for us are joy in the Lord and an eagerness to serve. Now, I want to try and illustrate this with you. I was having a little fight with the printer um, just before the service, so I've not managed to go bigger than A4, but go with me uh, on this. Um, just imagine this is the church in Philippi. If you can't see, um, it's just some slightly zombie-like faces uh, uh, in a crowd, kind of stick people. Uh, and life for them wasn't always simple. We've already heard in the, the verse I read that there was opposition to We've already heard that Paul's in prison writing this. Uh, standing firm is pretty tough, and I think this is where I might need to just borrow Rob and Greg. 
don't you just if you just stand up and, and each of you take a take a hold of either side of the piece of paper, um, there was external pressures, and so I want you to exert some external pressure on the church in Philippi as hard as you can. Come on, come on, they're doing well. They're standing firm. They're standing firm. Okay, it's not working. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Otherwise, you spoil the illustration if you sit back down. <laughs> Standing firm, striving together in the external pressures, they might get a few marks in them, might dent them a little bit, but they're doing all right. But what happens when the joy that in the Lord that's supposed to be theirs, when the eagerness to serve one another well, starts to fade? Because actually instead of joy, there's some disagreements and some fallings out. Instead of an eagerness to serve, it's more about what, what can I get and what I want. And if you like, just it's only small. It's very small. It's just mentioned in one place. It's just a little bit of division, a little bit of kind of something not quite right in the life of the church in Philippi. So I've just done a little rip in the top of the paper. Now, give it a go, gentlemen. And when the external pressures come, what happens? You get the illustration, right? Standing firm, striving together, in one, uh, for the one faith, doesn't look like it. As I say, it might not have been, it doesn't seem to have been a big issue in the life of the church. Just a little rip. Uh, but Paul could see what could happen. And so I'm hoping this little series and the evenings as we gather together will, will build us up. Uh, to help us to be standing firm, to be striving together, uh, to have our joy in the Lord, to be eager to serve, uh, knowing there will be external pressures on us, uh, but that we will continue to stand firm. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, then we're going to sing again, uh, and then we're going to hear uh, our reading for this evening. Let me pray. ...of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Dick. I wonder, as Dick was reading those verses, what particularly kind of stood out to you, jumped out at you from uh, those verses. I, I, I think there's kind of a couple of things, really. That the first one is just, is that the joy and the affection uh, that Paul writes with in those, those verses? 
Uh, and I think that the, the second one particularly is um, it's the kind of confidence that Paul has that kind of fuels into his prayer in those, those last couple of verses we heard, heard read. In these opening verses of Philippians, we, we see Paul praying a prayer of affection and we find Paul praying a prayer of ambition. And we're going to spend a few moments looking at kind of both parts of those this evening in the hope that what we, what we hear and experience will, will have an impact on how we pray in our life together as a, as a church community of St. Luke's. Um, but what I don't want to happen is for, for us to kind of finish our time here, go out into uh, the world through that door and into next week and just kind of go away and think, well, what I've got to do is pray more, pray better. Pray with more affection. Pray with more ambition. Because if that's how we leave here, what we're doing is we're looking to ourselves and going, I've got to do this. And I don't think Paul would have us do that. I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to be doing. If we want to be praying with affection, if we want to be praying with ambition, it actually flows out, not from looking at ourselves, but looking to Jesus Christ. Because there is something that's repeated in these verses um, seven times. Or maybe I should say there's someone who's repeated seven times in 11 verses. Christ, Jesus, did you spot that? That's the kind of third standout thing. Just how Jesus-centered these verses are. And it's always a good tool for kind of trying to understand what a Bible passage is talking about, to look for the, the repetition, the things that are repeated. Uh, these are, are verses that take uh, Jesus Christ very, very seriously. You see, going out of that door tonight and going into our week, we're not to look at ourselves, uh, look into ourselves to pray uh, for each other with more affection, with more ambition. Uh, to pray like that well, it flows from looking to Jesus Christ when our gaze is steadfastly and solidly set on him. It kind of flows quite nicely out of what we were thinking about last week in Psalm 27 verse for the year, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord in Christ Jesus. When we gaze on the beauty of the Lord in Christ Jesus, we will find that naturally we will be praying with affection, we'll be praying with ambition for one another. Because of Jesus, we can pray for each other with affection. I mean, you can't miss the depth of friendship, the warmth, the joy, the affection in these verses, can you? At verse 3, Paul, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. I wonder if you've got a friend or a family member, them, just, the, just the thought of them just puts a smile on your face. Something of that there, I think. At what, is, what is Paul remembering? Well, we're told the story. It's in Acts 16. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't. It's the time when the route that Paul had planned to take uh, to go around making the good news of Jesus Christ known to as many people as he possibly could in as many cities as he could, his route was blocked. We're not told how. He just says, the Holy Spirit blocked me. I'm trying to make sense of what, what do we do? Where do we go? He has a, he has a vision. A man from Macedonia appears to him in, in this vision, standing, it says, and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after that, Paul and his traveling friends, they, well, they step into the continent of Europe for the first time. They bring the good news of Jesus into Europe. And in Philippi, uh, Paul meets 
a businesswoman, a trader in purple cloth called Lydia. She's the first person, uh, we're told there, becomes a Christian. It says the Lord opened her heart to the message of Jesus, and she and her household were baptized. Now, we're not told how long after, but um, Paul and Silas, as, as is their habit, end up in prison for making Jesus known. Uh, and it was there that a straight-talking, rough-round-the-edges prison officer uh, that they meet there comes to faith. How? Well, when they decide not to make a bid for freedom, when there's an earthquake and they could just have walked out of the prison. And we're told he and his household are baptized. And in between Lydia and the prison officer, there'd been a slave girl that Paul had cast a spirit out of. We're told it had a spirit of being able to tell the future. And Paul was getting so annoyed with her, he just, just says he cast her out and her owners got very cross and that's how they ended up in prison. But you kind of wonder that Paul would have remembered her and gone, what happened to her? What's going on in her life? I thank my God every time I remember you. And so some in that church in Philippi were deep, dear friends of Paul. And so no wonder, right, there's this affection. But actually, some time's gone by. There would have been many more people in the church in Philippi now who Paul didn't know, didn't have that deep friendship. Maybe hadn't even met in person. Perhaps he just heard their stories, glimpses of their stories as they were shared uh, with him. And there's affection for them too. You see it in verse 8. Paul says, God can testify how I long for all of you. Not just some of you, not just the friends I have, not just the people I've met in person, all of you. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There is no greater affection than that. This isn't just affection because of a friendship or a shared experience. It's because every person, every Christian in Philippi, in that church, is a brother or sister in Christ who Jesus loves, who Jesus laid down his life for, who Jesus has given new life to. We had a brilliant picture of this uh, this morning uh, in uh, what was going on in the memorial hall behind me um, in our children's group, on our Sunday morning children's groups. Um, they were beginning a series hearing about the work of a Christian charity called Open Doors who support persecuted Christians around the world. Uh, and they were hearing uh, that a Christian is, is somebody he, God loves and has made his child. And so if Christians around the world are all children of our Heavenly Father, what does that mean about Christians? And my wife who was leading the session said he could sort of just see the penny drop. That means they're about brothers and sisters. So the next question, so what does that mean for us in the group? And the children started to get very excited, realizing that they're brothers and sisters. In fact, they were loudly announcing to each other, this is my brother, this is my sister. They came out with badges saying brother and sister and their name. And you know, you suddenly think the Church of Latter-day Saints is on a, on a, on a, on a mission in Thurnby, but they weren't. Um, and then they just started hugging each other. And I'm like, oh, it was just a beautiful moment. The penny dropped. They got it. When we realize the affection Christ Jesus has for each one of us, it means we begin to hold each other in our hearts like Paul did for the Christians in Philippi. So verse 1, Paul describes them as God's holy people. Every Christian, every Christian here has been chosen by God, set apart by God, given a place amongst his people, and will in eternity be with Jesus and with us 
on the day when Jesus returns. We see in verse 2, we're told grace and peace. They're those who receive grace and peace. Verse 7, Paul says, you share in God's grace with me. See, there is no Christian who is more deserving of God's saving and forgiving kindness than any other. There is no Christian who is less deserving of God's saving and forgiving kindness than any other. Faith in Jesus means we stand shoulder to shoulder on level ground in front of the cross of Christ. Then in verse 4, Paul rejoices, isn't he? He says, I rejoice because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul was invested in the life of the ministry of the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi were invested in the life and ministry of Paul. But all Christians partner in the gospel, making Jesus known and for that to be transforming lives. In verse 6, Paul talks of the good work that God has begun in them that will be brought to completion. It means every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has God at work in their lives. They're a source for affection. Now, I think there's um, plenty of affection in the life of St. Luke's. When I uh, started here and um, just under five years ago, uh, somebody half-jokingly said, oh, don't worry, we're all related to each other. And, and, you know, there, there is a slight mark of that in the church, that various families at times have joined together in marriage. And, and you know, that's a, a wonderful joy. And not everybody's related to each other. That's, that's fine. And we've seen uh, new people coming into the life of the church. And I think that's quite healthy. Um, but for a number of people who've been part of the church for a long time, uh, lives are kind of entangled together. There are deep friendships. There are shared experiences. There are children who've grown up together. Uh, There have been events that have happened. There have been home groups that have supported people through tough times. There's all kinds of things that have gone on. The affection Paul talks about, though, can't just be because we're part of the same biological family. It can't just be the affection that comes from having a long friendship or a shared experience. Because otherwise, in the life of a church, the newcomer, feels excluded. The person who comes from a different background feels like they're on the edge. Well, the person who's in a different life situation feels like, well, there's no place for me. But when we start to see each other through the lens of Jesus Christ, you see, our affection for one another grows. And we pray with affection for each other, especially for the people in the life of our church who we might not know so well yet or might be quite different to you, or quite different to me. Or those people who sometimes it just might feel require just a little bit more effort to get alongside. Or even the people, dare I say, we find it sometimes hard to love. Because of Jesus, we have deep affection. And we can pray for each other with affection. Because of Jesus, we can pray for each other with affection. And secondly, because of Jesus, we can pray for each other with ambition. I love what Paul does here. He doesn't just do what what you're quite good at doing, what I'm really good at doing. And that is to say, I'll pray for you. And then we wander off and carry on our business and do stuff. And then maybe we remember the week. Oh, yeah, no, I I should pray. Um, 
what he does is he tells them what his prayer is, what he's praying. It's a kind of habit, actually, I'm trying to grow a little bit in myself. And then somebody asks me uh, to pray for them, I'll pray then and there. If it's in person, I'll, I'll say to them, can I pray for you right now? Uh, and I've never had yet anybody say no. Quite a good one. Um, or if uh, you know it's come through on an email or on a phone message, I'll type out a prayer. Two reasons I found it really helpful. One, it means I do pray for them. Uh, second of all, particularly when I'm writing down a prayer, it makes me really think, what am I praying for this person? Because when I read these um, final three verses of our reading this evening, I kind of find that I, I feel like my prayers for my Christian friends and, and for people who make up the lives of St. Luke's, they're the equivalent of really weak orange squash. And now I don't doubt. I don't doubt that we pray for each other. We have plenty of opportunities to pray for each other in the life of St. Luke's. We've got a Monday morning prayer meeting. We've got a Saturday morning prayer meeting. We pray on the first Monday of every month for the work of Living Hope in Thermiston. Uh, every term, there's a, a Cornerstone Team Prayer and Praise. It's on 14th of February, if you want to know uh, this term's run. Um, there's a plan afoot to do a, a day of prayer and fasting for Cafe 55 before it opens at the end of February and the beginning of March. I don't doubt that many of the things we pray for each other are really good things. Giving thanks to God for his generosity, his provision. Uh, praying for, for, the, for the health of one another. Uh, how we navigate tricky circumstances, difficult situations, asking for God's blessing uh, on, on people's lives. But compared to Paul's prayer here, are my prayers ambitious enough? Because if we see each other through the lens of Jesus Christ, not only does our affection for one another grow, our ambition for each other grows. Verse 6, Paul speaks of that confidence that he has, that he who began a good work in you, you're a Christian here this evening, God has begun a good work in you. And he's not going to just leave it there. He's going to carry on, carry it on until completion, until that day of Jesus Christ. So Paul prays for exactly that to happen. The good work of God to be brought to completion. What does that look like? What is that good work? Well, first of all, that we abound in love. Love for God, love for one another. A love that goes beyond just what we feel, but it's a whole way of life. Uh, not a love that we dig down to find inside ourselves. It comes, we're told, from knowledge and depth of insight. Knowing the realities of, of God as he makes himself known in Jesus Christ. The depth of affection that Jesus Christ has for us. We abound in love. Uh, the second thing is prayed for, to discern what is best. You see that? That we can approve what's, what's good, what's excellent. Discerning what's right, what's wrong, what's the way of Jesus. So that, verse 10, we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It also means knowing how to choose what's best when all the options in front of us are really good things. Now, do you have that problem? You know, what, to, what to decide? Everything's a good option. You know, it's not a case of right and wrong. It's a choice between good and good. Well, that we would discern that. Not choosing just what's easiest, not choosing what we might prefer, what's more fun, but choosing what will grow us to be more like Jesus. Because what's the third part of the prayer of God's good work in us? We'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That our attitudes, that our actions, that our character, 
the whole of our lives would be marked out by belonging to Jesus and having the Holy Spirit at work in us. When our attention is on Jesus, we can pray for each other with ambition, abounding love, discerning what's best, filled with the fruit of righteousness. You see, if we're going to be a church that is standing firm in one spirit, together, uh, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened, praying for each other is something we should pay attention to. But it's only as we pay attention to Jesus that we can pray for each other with real affection and real ambition.